Hello and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Rihanna Scoggins, the content manager for the ACFE, and today I'm joined by Christian Focacci, CEO and founder of Threat Digital and an expert in compliance technology and data management. With a rich background in leveraging data and machine learning to tackle risk and compliance issues, Christian has an impressive track record. His experience includes roles at leading banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of New York Mellon, and Citibank. And he's also been at the helm of two successful tech startups. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Great. Happy to be here, Rihanna. Before we dive into like our deep conversation, can you give a little background about your experience, what motivated you to focus on financial crime compliance and risk management and sort of how you got to where you are now? Sure. I have a, a little bit of a different background. So I've spent the last 10-ish years on the tech side of things, but I really started my career as an investigator. So I worked for large banks doing enhanced due diligence, anti-money laundering investigations, things like that. And pretty quickly, I realized that the main thing I was doing was identifying information, aggregating information, processing information. And technology was such a big part of that that I made that transition in my career. So it was pretty, the writing was on the wall, right? If I'm going to be in this industry, understanding the tools I'm using, maybe the work on the tools I'm using seemed like there was a lot more runaway. So I'm different in that I started as kind of a a practitioner, and then I switched to the tech side. So it kind of gives me an advantage when I am out in the field, I'm having conversations with people because I've done both sides of it. Right? I understand their business. I understand investigations and due diligence. I also now understand the technology and the machine learning and different applications that we are building every day. Absolutely. So um, right now you are heading up Threat Digital. Can you tell us a little bit about Threat Digital? Um, what was sort of your motivator in finding it? So the the last company I had, or the first company I started, we use machine learning to identify risk information from the internet, open source information, right? Um, that company was successful and ended up being acquired and then going through another acquisition. So the problem I was trying to solve with that was there's so much information in the world. How do we distill it down? How do we save people time? How do we find the relevant facts? Um, the last kind of couple of years now in the machine learning AI space has, has really been transformational in that there's been new architectures like transformers and large language models that led us to even more. Uh, so I wasn't actually planning to get back into the technology machine learning world on the investigative side, but just the capability of these new technologies, there is something there that hasn't been there before. And I've been working with that machine learning for the last 10 years. So I felt like we need to do something cool with this, right? It lets us <laughs> do things we have never been able to do. And all of the things that we wanted to do in the past, but the AI wasn't there, we're able to do it now. So that was really the, the motivator this year. And I, and I was paying attention to the space. I was like, someone should be using this and leveraging it in a really meaningful way. And just nothing was coming out, right? It's very new. And I was waiting for it and waiting for it. And I was like, well, no one's going to do it. Well, who better to do it than me, right? I've been doing this for years. <laughs> so uh, really, we launched our product in June of this year. Uh, so it hasn't been very long. It's been about eight months in market. But the reception has been like night and day. It's, it's very hard to sell technology, especially investigative technology, due diligence stuff. Um, people are always trying to save costs or... They don't want to spend money on things, but the reception has been different in that, like, you can tell right away, right? You, you, you use it, 
it provides an advantage that people didn't have in the past, right? And I know that because, like I said, I'm a practitioner. I build things I would use myself. Um, so that's what brought me back in the game. Just the advances in machine learning and AI have been meaningful, and I didn't think they were being leveraged to the degree that they should have in, in the world. So I said, let's try it. Interesting. So talking about AI and machine learning um, and leveraging it, how how are you leveraging it? How are you seeing um, maybe other companies are using it? Um, can you go a little more in depth about that? Yeah. So the exciting things for us is, are the large language models, right? If you've probably used ChatGPT, that's what powers ChatGPT, right? And there's other ones, Google Bard and, and uh, a number of other kind of commercial or consumer products out there that use these large language models. What the most exciting thing about them and where they're most applicable uh, is unstructured text, right? They're very good at natural language processing to like a degree that we haven't seen any machine learning before that. Um, so when I look at where we're leveraging them and where it's the most exciting to leverage them right now, you pay attention to the world, everyone has some AI in their product and something. But the piece that is the most meaningful, in my opinion, is when the large language models are used for what they're supposed to be. And that's taking unstructured data. So news, web data, things like that. And then providing some structure, meaning around it or context or understanding, right? That, that's what we do. And that's really what they're, they're made for, right? So when I pay attention in the world, I say, okay, are they using large language models versus just general AI, which could be anything now, right? People use any kind of computing, they could call it AI. Um, and then how are they leveraging those large language models? And then there's like degrees, right? You see a lot of it as being used as a natural language interface, which is a little interesting, right? Those are the chat functions. We're going to mm -hmm. add a chat feature to our tool where instead you had to search a certain way or select a very specific language. Now you can ask it in natural language questions and then the language model processes it. Others are able to say, we have a product, but now we want to use the language model to summarize the product. That's a little more interesting than the chat feature, but it's kind of like an, just an additional layer on the existing product. Whereas the most exciting is when companies are using language models from a function to, from the very beginning level to build their end product, right? They're, it's integral to their product. It's not like built it on after the fact. It's like mm -hmm. a core of their product where they're taking language models to bring in more information. They're using language models to process it. And then they're delivering something new. And those are the most exciting companies that if you're looking for something to pay attention to, I'd pay attention to those. The other ones are nice. They're using the AI, right? And they could say in their marketing material AI, but really it's just like an additional feature. You want to look at where the core of the company is using these, these language models. And those are the newest kind of companies. Absolutely. So when we were chatting back and forth before the podcast, one thing you had brought up was AI washing. Um, and I think that's, you know, probably something that should be at the forefront of our minds, especially in these next few years. Can you give a little synopsis of what AI washing is and maybe kind of what it looks like? Yeah. So that's kind of alludes to what I was, was talking about just now a little bit. And that's essentially the marketing departments of companies getting out of hand, right? Where <laughs> AI is very popular. Um, everyone wants to have an AI strategy and then using their marketing materials. So companies are saying they use AI when they don't really, or they do, but it's nothing new, right? The thing that we care about, people care about the AI now that's hot is, are these language mm -hmm. models. So it's very common. Um, it's a bit of a challenge when you are in the space and you actually have a large language-based product 
to sell against companies that are saying, yeah, we have AI now, and it's really just the marketing department putting AI in marketing things. And I feel bad for consumers of these products and services because it's really hard to tell what's happening under the covers. And is it really novel? Is it just something that they slapped on a marketing brochure? And even for me, who's been in this space years, I know the technology, I pay attention to what other companies are doing. I even get fatigued by it, where I say like, oh, great, another company doing AI, <laughs> right? So the way I, I position it, I position our product, the way I position that whole thinking about AI is companies now, you see boards, you see executive management, they say, we need an AI strategy, right? I say, forget that. You shouldn't have an AI strategy, right? You should have a maybe a product strategy, maybe a data strategy, a strategy to solve your problems. And if AI fits into that, but the idea of like looking at AI just for AI's sake, I wouldn't think about it from that perspective at all. It's almost like if you were, and this might be a bad analogy, but like if you're a carpenter having like a hammer strategy, right? Like no one talks Ooh. like that. AI is just <laughs> in your tool chest, right? A hammer. Maybe you're going to use one hammer for something else. Maybe you're going to use a nail gun for something else, which serves the same mm -hmm. purpose. Hammer. That's really how you should be looking at it. You should be like, look at your process as a company and say, this is our process. And then look at what different types of AI could do. So it's important to understand mm -hmm. AI, traditional AI algorithms, large language models, transformers, and understand where they fit in and then see if that can make your process better. And if it can make your process better, great. Who cares that's AI? We care about our process. But the idea of just using AI for AI's sake always seems silly to me. And I was someone who uses AI, the core element of our product and work with it on a daily basis. I'm pretty sure I offended a lot of carpenters and like, of course we have a hammer strategy. How could you know? <laughs> seems silly. Don't you know about the hammer strategy? My goodness. When people are starting to use these new tools, um, use this new technology, looking back at Threat Digital, what are the biggest challenges facing organizations when implementing technology like AI in their compliance programs? And do you feel like companies are open to adopting these new technologies? Are you facing a lot of resistance in um, getting people on board? What are you currently seeing? Yeah, so we're we're at the forefront of, of selling these type of technologies into companies. Um, and it's really a mixed bag. So everyone is interested, right? Everyone, because of the AI marketing hype, everyone wants to be a, not miss out on something that's really big. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it's hard to get people to change, right? And also, if there's an existing process, just the inertia of changing that process is difficult to overcome. The, the new thing really has to be transformational for people to want to adopt it, right? Or there has to be some top-down pressure. So while there's a lot of interest, there is some kind of skepticism. And also, there's a risk, right? You, being an early mm -hmm. adopter risky because you're at the forefront of things. So I, I, you really, as an organization, you need to look at like what technology is available and then what type of organization are you? Are you an early adopter? And if you are, you should be looking at AI and see how it fits. It is completely okay though to say, we're not an early adopter. We want to see where all this shakes out and wait maybe a couple of years and the best things will rise to the top and then we'll adopt them. There's nothing wrong with that. We need both types of companies in the world. Um, I like the early adopters, right? But they, the other <laughs> There's more of them. The, the, the challenge uh, with AI, right? Let's say just language models and this kind of modern AI 
is really around explainability, especially for the mm. things that they do, investigations, fraud, things like that. You can't have these black boxes, right? You can't have a mm-hmm. thing that makes decisions and nobody understands why it's making a decision. So one of the things when you're evaluating these, these new types of technologies, they shouldn't be doing that, right? There should, should be very clear to you, shouldn't be have to be a tech expert to understand why it's doing that. And if the, you don't and the product just is a black box, you just steer clear of it, right? Mm-hmm. It should be explainable. It may be, you might not understand how a transformer works or a, or a neural net, but that doesn't matter, right? You understand it's doing X, Y is the output, you know, Z was the input and we understand the pipeline. We don't understand how it got to that solution, like necessarily, mm-hmm. but we understand it analyzed it based on these criteria and, and did that. So that's the one thing that people are rightfully wary of having black box machine learning make decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And I, again, as someone who works with this tech every day, am 100% in that camp, right? The tech shouldn't be making decisions for you. The best use case for it now is to, you know, optimize what you're doing, right? It's going back to the hammer analogy, right? A nail gun is significantly faster. Everyone, you mm-hmm. might not have to understand how a nail gun works internally, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You understand what it does and how it improves you. So that's really the use of the AI today, the best use. It's taking your existing processes, it's taking things that maybe are manual today, and it's letting you automate it to a degree. It's saving your people time and lets you broaden out investigations. But ultimately, a person still needs to be in the loop to make decisions. Anytime they're saying like, well, we don't need the people anymore, I would be very wary of that. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to live in that world where we have these neural nets and language models making any meaningful decisions. So they're very powerful. Um, They automate a lot of tasks, but ultimately you need a person somewhere in this process as well. Absolutely. Um, We're already sort of seeing cases where technology is um, being kind of trusted above all else. um, And it's leading to some problems like the UK postman fraud uh, case that's really big right now. And it's, you know, it had been going on for quite a few years. Um, so I definitely agree with that and I appreciate that take. So as a technologist, um, what are challenges you're facing when developing AI driven solutions in this space, um, in compliance, um, you know, or maybe even just like developing solutions, not even just the AI part, um, for compliance. The, depending on the industry, like compliance is highly regulated. A lot of times it's banks. Investigations is less regulated on the corporate side, mm-hmm. but it's still to a degree. The, the biggest challenge when working these solutions is really mitigating that, that black box approach I was talking about. When we build things, we have to use this tech and it can be cool, but we really have to make it simple. And that's the difficult part, right? It's sometimes really easy to make things look really complex and nobody understands it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people buy that, but that's not what we want to do. So the most difficult part is taking a very complicated process and making so everyone can understand exactly what's happening in every step along the way. And there's explainability in the process, right? That's the the biggest challenge that we face, right? And also working with large language models, they're kind of a little wonky sometimes, right? They do think <laughs> they're affected, right? So you you have to have guardrails. Anyone who's used kind of chat GDP has seen that, right? Sometimes you get a result that doesn't make any sense. It's hallucinated, which it means it made up information. It gives you a link that doesn't exist. It answers the question incorrectly. So using like that core technology, which is powerful, 
but then putting a lot of guardrails around it so that it's consistent, it's expectable, it's dependable. That's really the biggest challenge of going from like, yeah, that might be okay to have a, a consumer app that people are just having fun with, like writing essays and things like that, to a product that's being used by, you know, Fortune 500 companies mm -hmm. every day relying on it. Because they can't have that, right? We can't say something that's completely wrong that people are going to make decisions off of. We have to say where things came from, why we got to conclusions. Um, and building those guardrails is kind of the difference between more of a, a real tool that people can rely on versus just kind of like a hobby thing that's fun with, with novel tech. Definitely. So I'm sorry if I'm kind of asking for the ingredients to the secret sauce, but what are like when you say building those guardrails, what does that look like? Um, you know, what, what are you doing to ensure that, you know, your AI isn't hallucinating? Sure. No, it, it, that's a great question, right? Um, and the, the simple answer is you have to look at it as a holistic thing, right? Mm. If you look at it where we have a product and we're just going to bolt AI, AI onto it because it's cool, that's not holistic, right? So the way we think about the product is from the very ground up, how do we make sure the results we're applying are relevant or providing are relevant, that the data is of a high quality? So before mm -hmm. we even get to using any transformers or large language models, we spend a lot of time using different techniques, some different types of machine learning, right? Heuristic, rules-based, things like that. So we kind of start at the foundation of we need really good data coming into our system that we're analyzing reviewing and make sure it's real high quality. And mm -hmm. then we kind of have a pipeline to work with the, the large language models integrating that data. So by the time you even get to using the modernist state-of-the-art AI, it's already a really good product that would work for a lot of people. And then that feeds into the AI and that makes the output even better. Once it goes through the AI, then there's a bunch of guardrails in place in terms of like consistency of the results, right? How the results are formatted um double checking sources and there's a lot of things in place that are post-processing after the fact so like the the simplest answer well maybe not simple is it's very holistic and you start with the data you make sure the data is as good as possible you make sure the ai is tuned right because even within the large language models there's different fine tuning of the models mm -hmm. you test the ai itself and then post-processing and the output, you have different rules in place. And sometimes there's more machine learning after the fact. So it's, you have to build this kind of pipeline of data and machine learning to go from raw inputs to our fine product. And if you just think like, oh, I'm just going to jump in any place in here, you'll get a system that uses AI. But there's like a notable difference uh, when people who actually do this work every day look at it, they would say like, that's not very good, right? Mm -hmm. It might look like the same output, but when practitioners use it, they don't, it's not very good. So how we differentiate is kind of working on this whole pipeline that we've been working on for years in, in different capacities. So that the end output, when people see it, they go, wow, that's really something. But that's how you do it, right? So there's no, you know, there's secret sauce at each of those steps, but that's the approach. There's no real secret sauce. It's like starting mm -hmm. with this whole process that you, you have quality assurance all the way along the process. And then the end product is very good. Awesome. Um, so I feel like we've kind of covered a lot of this through our conversation, but, you know, maybe some, some like broad lessons. What advice would you give to companies or, you know, CFEs, certified fraud examiners looking to implement AI into their compliance strategies? 
So I would say, I would think about where you are as a company or an individual, right? So, and that goes to like, where are you an early adopter or are you, how risky do you want to be in testing things? How much time do you want to spend, right? But let's say you're that person who's really interested in AI. You want to know how it impacts you today and then see where it's going. Uh, the best way is just to start using it in the consumer setting, right? Like start mm -hmm. using OpenAI, right? ChatGPT, there's different search engines that use AI, right? So you can understand what they are, like just understand the basics of large language models, how these kind of chat tools work, right? And once you have that, some understanding, I would think about how that fits into your process, right? Do you have a process that is very, um, could be automated? Do you have a process where you're sitting there and reading a lot of documents, right? Or you're basically summarizing documents because it's really good at summarization. It's really good at aggregating multiple sources of information. So once you have like a rough understanding of how it works, think of your process and if there's a place where this technology fits into that process. And then I would go out into the world and see if anyone's building anything that fits that, that use case. In a lot of cases, there are. And if you, all those things fall into line, I'd reach out to those companies and say, hey, let's have a conversation. I want to learn more about what you're doing mm -hmm. and see if it works. And a lot of times you'll be able to get trials and demos and things like that, where then you could actually see if it works. You could test it in the, the process. But it's key before you even have those conversations to understand what it is, how it works. And there, there's free tools available, right? The basics of what it's good at and what it's not good at. Um, because that just makes you more informed when you, you can have questions about the company and things like that. Um, so that's the approach I would take. Just kind of really start understanding the technology because it's widely available and it is very new. And then really think about your process and can it make it better? And if it can't, that's okay too, right? There's there's other ways you might be able to use it. Um, but aggregating information, summarizing unstructured text, any task that you feel like you might be doing a lot of your employees are doing over and over again, and you can save them time, there's a good chance that large language models can automate that or at least save time today. Awesome. Thank you for that. So because you're on both sides, you know, you've been in investigations and you've also, you know, obviously been in technology and maybe not to give too much advice to potential competitors maybe, but <laughs> what advice would you give to technologists when they're looking at developing anti-fraud solutions? That's a good question. So I'm not, I'm not worried about uh, <laughs> helping anybody out. I'm happy to help everyone out. Though the way I started in my first company, in this company, and I think is a good rule for anyone in the world is to solve your own problems. Hmm. So instead of saying like, I want to use AI let me figure out a way to apply it. Say, this is my job. This is a pain point. And now I've, I listened to Chris's advice and I was using OpenAI and I'm using ChatGPT and I understand how it works. That could solve my problem. And there's no solution exists. Let me solve my problem. That's the best way to go about it. You have a pain point and you want to solve it. My initial pain point years ago was I was doing internet searches and Google. I was using databases, you know, all the subscription databases. And I was spending hours looking through news articles, right? And I was doing different really complicated search strings, Christian Focacci and fraud or launder a crime within the last five years and these <laughs> locations, right? And I had all these like tips and tricks and techniques and it worked for me, but it was very time consuming. So I said, mm -hmm. I think we need machine learning to basically bring in all of these news articles 
then score them and say like, these are the relevant ones, these are not the relevant ones in a more sophisticated way than just saying it has the word fraud or corruption in there, right? So mm-hmm. that was my, I was spending a lot of time reading news articles. I didn't want to do that. So we built a tool that brought them all in, scored them. And I went from having to look at a thousand articles to maybe looking at 50 articles, right? I still had to look at those 50 articles, but I would just increased my you know, productivity, the time I could focus mm-hmm. on other things by knowing I was finding the right results, right? And now the ad is at the point where you could take a thousand articles and you could get it down to 10 articles, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the, the kind of the gradation of where we're at now. But the best advice I could give to anybody is to solve your own problem. And then you you know it's solved. It's it's a genuine, authentic conversation, right? It's not like, oh, I'm just using AI because uh, I think it's cool and I think there's a lot of money made. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. I have this problem, I solved it. And that resonates with everyone else who has that problem. So you already have a base of users that you can talk to because you know what their pain point is. If you're the only one with the problem, that's a different case, but at least there's something you know. Um, so that's my kind of advice to any technologists out there for not just AI, every product in the world, right? Like mm-hmm. I only work on things that I directly know about mm-hmm. and that I know if it's a good quality or not. I actually tried working on something else that was in an adjacent field and I felt like I could do this, no problem. I failed. I just like, <laughs> I thought I could do it, but it turned out there was so many nuances that I just didn't mm-hmm. know. I, I took for granted all of the things I knew in the investigation and due diligence world that yeah, that's my focus and advice to anyone who has that challenge. Awesome. Well, thank you for that info. Um, and thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. Was there anything else you kind of wanted to mention before we wrap up today's episode? No, I was happy to be here. Um, it was great talking to you, Rihanna. Uh, if anyone ever wants to have any kind of conversations about due diligence, investigations, AI, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I talk to people all the time. Um, so that's all I'll leave out there in any capacity, right? Just you want to kick the tires, you want to learn what companies are doing, feel free to reach out and happy to have a conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Christian. And thank you for listening. You can find this podcast along with all other episodes of Fraud Talk on acfe.com, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been Rihanna Scoggins signing off.